Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. This is the Easter season, and if there ever was a season that we should celebrate, it's this season. You know why? Because a rescuer was sent, a deliverer came, a savior was born, and his name is Jesus. And if that's not enough reason to give a shout of praise of thanksgiving, to get out of bed in the morning, to have an extra bounce in your step, it's because Jesus came for sinners like you and me, and he's alive and we are forgiven. Amen? Amen. Very good. Well, listen. Today is Palm Sunday. It marks the beginning uh, of the final week of Christ. Some refer to it as the Holy Week. Some refer to it as the Passion Week. It's the final days that le- leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. It's the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. And the beginning of the end is marked by this triumphal entry that Jesus has into Jerusalem. In fact, all four Gospels record this particular event that takes place. In fact, if you read through the book of the Gospel, you'll discover that a a great portion of the Gospels deal with the last week of Christ. Uh, Two-thirds of the book of Matthew deals with the last week of Christ. Three-fifths of the book of Mark is dedicated to the last week of Christ. One-third of the book of Luke is devoted to the last week of Christ, and almost half of the book of John deals with the last week of Christ. This kind of shows us the importance, the emphasis that the gospel writers were putting on the last seven days of Jesus. In the four gospels, there's 89 chapters. Out of those 89 chapters, only four deal with the first 30 years of Jesus' life. 85 chapters deal with the last three years of Christ. And out of those 85, 29 chapters deal with the final seven days, that final week of Jesus. It's obviously something significant happened if the writer spent so much time in those last um, week, the last week of Christ. And of course, we know what actually happened changed the world. And, and about a week from now, we will be celebrating Easter, and we are getting ready, and we're praying, and we're preparing, and all of our eyes are fixed and focused on the cross and the empty tomb. However, this morning, we're going to take time to look at that, that triumphal entry of Jesus, that, that event that marked the beginning of the end, and how everything was literally turned upside down in a week in Jesus' life and in the life of the followers. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where your whole life was turned upside down in a week. You know, the week starts off so good, and by the end of the week, you're left in shambles. Well, that's exactly what has happened here in the life of uh, his disciples. Uh, When Jesus rode into Jerusalem uh, on that donkey, uh, everyone had uh, expectations. It was almost like a ticker tape uh, parade. They were ready for a revolution. They were expecting the Romans to somehow be overthrown. But within a few days, their hero, their leader, the one that they had put their confidence in, the one that they had put their faith in, was lying dead in a tomb after he had been brutally beaten and left hanging on a cross to die. To say that their world was turned upside down doesn't really fully explain 
what happened to them. I mean, they went from living on the top of the mountain, full of expectations, with all kinds of emotions of despair. They thought one thing was going to be a reality, but something completely different took place. They were devastated, to say the least, when it looked as though their answer to their prayers had finally come a 180. Uh, takes place and so with that would you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Mark Mark is the second gospel in the New Testament book of Mark and for those who may be new among us here this morning just want to let you know this one thing uh, about us here at Temple we always open God's Word that's why we always encourage people to bring their Bible or some kind of electronic device that they can follow along Because we believe this is God's word and we study it. No matter who is speaking here, we always take time to look into God's word. It's, it's extremely important uh, to us this morning. So Mark chapter 11. And remember, this event is recorded in all four of the gospel. Change is about to happen because a king is coming. Are you there? Mark chapter 11. Are you ready? Three people are. You found it? Mark, okay, very good. Mark chapter 11, we're going to begin right with verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter in, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, well, the Lord needs it, and he will return it back shortly. Uh, they went and found a colt outside the street and tied it, tied it at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. And those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we have this opportunity for the next few moments to dig deep into your word. Lord, we thank you for this season, the reason for this season that a deliverer has come to take our place. And so, Lord, for those of us who know Christ, I, I pray that this morning that our hearts would be lifted up knowing what is ours in Christ. For those who don't know Christ this morning, I pray, God, that their eyes would be open to just grab a fresh glimpse of who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We all know that there's been a lot of changes in this world. I mean, you just look at your own lifetime, your own lifespan, and you know the changes that have taken place. You look at transportation, for instance. If you wanted to go somewhere, it used to be you had to walk there. And then, of course, someone came up with the idea, well, let's ride a horse. And then, of course, there was trains. And then all of a sudden, you could get your own car. And then there were planes. Like, transportation has just drastically changed. Over the last number of years. Think of communication. 
Uh, it used to be that if you wanted to get a message to somebody, you actually had to go yourself personally and tell them. Then it came to the point where, hey, paper and pen was available, and you could write a message and put it in the mail, and it would be off. And then all of a sudden it came, you could have a telephone, and you could call somebody. And then, of course, now it's like a cell phone. It's just the changes of communication are, are unbelievable. Well, what is happening here? It's such a radical change for people to comprehend because it's so different than the old days. See, in the Old Testament, everybody knew that you had to sacrifice an animal, an unblemished lamb, and you sacrifice it, and, and for that year, it would kind of cover your sins for the year. The idea that your sins could be forgiven was such a crazy thought. Nobody in the Old Testament could think that their sins could be forgiven, only covered temporarily. But what's happening here, this last week, what's being ushered in is the idea that people's sins will be, forg be forgiven forever. And the plan is beginning to unravel right here in this last week of Christ. I don't know if you've ever wondered, why did Jesus ride on a donkey of all animals i mean he's a coming king shouldn't he be up on some white stallion as he comes into the city of jerusalem because you know when you study history you find out when kings went to war when they went to battle they rode a horse they came with authority but i discovered that oftentimes kings would ride donkeys when they came in peace and so here is uh, an image that the king is coming in peace. But what else is very interesting about this, 500 years before this took place, in Zechariah 9.9, 500 years before Jesus rode on a donkey to Jerusalem, Zechariah prophesied that a coming king would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. And then, that's 500 years. You can go back thousands of years to Genesis chapter 49, and it says the same thing. Oh, people of Zion, shout of praise. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, your king comes into your city riding on a donkey. Amazing how precise these prophecies are being fulfilled as Jesus rides on a donkey. I, I don't know how many 500 years ago could have predicted what's going to happen in 2019. I'm going to suggest probably nothing could have been predicted with such accuracy. And here we are, perfect precision with this prophecy that Jesus would be coming riding on a donkey. Then in verse 3, it says, he, he tells the disciples to, to go ahead into the village and find a, a donkey, a colt that, that's never been ridden before. It's not been broken, and bring him uh, for, for me to ride. And as I read through that story, I couldn't help but think, I, I'm a rule keeper, okay? That has always been my personality. If, if the rule is, you know, don't jump off that edge, well, I would be five feet from the edge because I don't even want to get close to breaking the rules. That's just my personality. And as I was reading this, I was like, okay, Jesus, you're asking somebody to go and steal a donkey? Like, that is so against the rules. I thought, if you want someone to steal the donkey, ask Judas. He's already a thief. And, and, and so I was thinking about that. And then Jesus says, and by the way, if anybody questions you, here's the password. The Lord has need of the donkey. 
And so I was picturing that myself. If I had to come, I'd been so nervous, sweat been pouring down, and hoping nobody's even watching me as I'm untying the donkey, and hopefully I could just kind of leave the town, the village. But of course, it says, hey, hey, what are you guys doing? What are you guys untying that donkey? And they're like, oh, what's the password? What's the password? Uh, oh, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, then go ahead. You can have the donkey. I, when I read through that, I, I just find that uh, kind of humorous in some ways. As they were getting ready to go to Jerusalem, it's very interesting. You, you, you study this and you find out the disciples did not want to go to Jerusalem. They were nervous about going to Jerusalem because they knew there was a death warrant out there. They knew that there was hitmen ready to take Jesus out. And so they say, Jesus, let's not go to Jerusalem. We need to stay as far away from that as possible. And so knowing that to be true, why would Jesus go to Jerusalem? Because his disciples had warned him not to go. There's tension in the air. The disciples know that the religious leaders, their headquarters is in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. So why in the world would we go to Jerusalem? Jesus, they want you dead if we go there. Well, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, it says that Jesus had been telling his disciples, I must go to Jerusalem. I need to go to Jerusalem because I need to suffer at the hands of the elders. Now, you would think that's where the disciples would have jumped in. That's what we've been telling you. If you go there, you're going to suffer. But Jesus' response was saying, no, no, I have to go. I need to go. To Jerusalem and they're going to Jerusalem because it is the Passover they're celebrating the Passover and and the Passover is the celebration of hundreds of years earlier where where God had delivered the people of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt some of you may remember that story it's found in Exodus chapter 8 9 10 uh, and 11 as the story of the ten plagues where, where Jesus, or where God sends in, uh, the, inflicts on the Egyptian these plagues. And it was meant to, that they would release the people of, of the Israelites. That they would be set free. I mean, to let God's people free. And so one uh, affliction, and another affliction, and another affliction. By time number nine came, they still wouldn't let the people go. And so what does God do? He sends a death angel. And the firstborn son is going to die the night that the death angel, unless, unless you take the perfect unblemished lamb and you sacrifice that lamb and you take the blood and you put it on the top of your doorpost, on the side of your doorway. And it says, when the death angel passes through, he will pass over when he sees the blood. And so this is what they have been celebrating now for hundreds of years. I mean, this is the center part of Jewish history. And, and I think that the, be, as they're getting ready to go into Jerusalem and celebrate this, I think they're so nervous, the disciples. Yes, it's great to celebrate what God has done, but maybe this year we should have a low profile. Maybe this year we should make our way to Jerusalem. Maybe we should celebrate the Passover back at home. But Jesus makes his way. And I don't know if the disciples really fully understood, why am I getting a donkey again? Why are we getting the donkey? And of course, that Jesus rides into the donkey. I think, as I'm reading through this, I think the disciples are shocked. They're surprised by the parade. 
I mean, this crowd has gathered, and maybe they're thinking for the first time, maybe it really will happen. Maybe we really will be delivered from the Romans. Look at the people as they're gathering around. Finally, the people are recognizing Jesus, and maybe a reformation really will take place. I wonder if the disciples were thinking, why, we, why is he riding on a donkey? This is the time to be riding on a horse. We've come for a reformation. We've come to wage a war. I, I was thinking about this. Uh, maybe they thought, this is ridiculous to ride a donkey. Maybe, maybe it's too dangerous to ride a donkey. I, I, uh, I say that because I was doing some research this week, and I found out in 1987, the London Times, a reputable newspaper, said that it's more people die by donkey than airplanes. And I thought, that doesn't even sound reasonable. So I did some research, and they had claimed that, um, that donkeys had gotten free in Mexico and ran across the road, and people ran into them and died. They, they gave an incident in, in Egypt where a man was riding his donkey on the road, and a car hit him, and he killed. And so they were claiming it's more dangerous to ride a donkey. I don't think that's true. I don't think the facts back it up, so those of you who are donkey lovers, keep on riding. I don't think it's dangerous. And so as Jesus is making his way in, the people just began to shout and praise, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us! God, save us! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Expressions of praise and worship. This is the person we have been waiting for. From childhood, they had heard the story that God would send somebody to rescue them, that God would send a Messiah, that a king is coming that would deliver them. And right now, it's happening right now, right here and now. Their eyes are open. This is the one that they've been waiting for. And every Jew is waiting for the exact same thing. There's no division. You know how today there's lots of division, sports, politics, there's always this side and that side. No, 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 not in this incidence. Every Jew was waiting for this moment when someone would come and rescue them. In fact, the praise began to gather and to get so loud and boisterous that the Pharisees, the religious leaders, came to Jesus and his disciples and said, tell them to stop it. This is blasphemous. Tell those people to stop saying what they're saying. Because they were praising this coming king. And it seems like nothing was stopping the praise. In fact, Jesus says, if I were to tell them to stop, the very rocks would begin to cry out and praise uh, my name. The birds will continue to chirp. The, the tides will continue to happen. Creation will still praise me. And that's why we shout that's why we're going to celebrate next weekend for all that next weekend represents. And even with all of our praise, it won't be enough because he deserves so much more than what we can even offer. And so Jesus tells his disciples, okay, I must go and suffer. And in Mark 8 and 9, he says, not only must I suffer, but I must go to Jerusalem, suffer, and then to die. And I really think as the disciples are hearing that word, die, like, no. You're too young to die. What do you mean, die? I mean, the Jews have been waiting 
to be delivered. And it seemed like now is the time. This is no time to be dying. The Jews were under bondage. They really had no control of their life. And they were looking for someone who would actually set them free from bondage. They were looking for somebody like King David, a warrior, a man of war, who would bring back the old glory days. They were looking for someone who would make their lives better on earth. But Jesus didn't come to make our lives better on earth. He came to earth that we might have the possibility to go to heaven with him. They were looking for someone far different. That's why in Mark eleven ten, is why that in less than a week after they're praising Jesus, they turn on Jesus. I mean, one minute they're saying, you know, Hosanna, blesses the man, who becomes the name of the Lord. And then the next minute, they're shouting, crucify him. He's not the man that we thought he would be. We've been tricked. We've been hoodwinked. We thought he was coming to deliver us physically from the Roman oppression and to restore our place of prominence, of honor and authority. And what they see is a man who's been chained under arrest and sentenced, convicted to death. See, Jesus' earthly plan was not to come for a military conquest. It was a bodily sacrifice. See, these people were looking for something completely different. And I, sometimes I wonder, today, I think people sometimes are looking for something different in Jesus that's not there. Like, for instance, I think some people look at Jesus thinking he's more like a genie in a bottle, you know, where I kind of rub and I get three wishes, and then, and then Jesus will do, you know, what I've asked him to do. If I just pray better prayers, I'll get my wish. If I just have a little more faith, I'll get uh, what I want and what I've asked for. But Jesus didn't come to be a genie in a bottle for us. You know, some people think Jesus came to be a kingdom, an earthly kingdom builder, but he did not come to build a strong political alliance to take over the world. That's why the, the road is narrow that leads to life. And wide that leads to destruction. See, Jesus never came to be popular. Jesus is popular with a lot of people only because they don't really know what Jesus said. They don't know he said, you got to lose your life before you find it. And some people think, well, Jesus is my safety guarantee. Some people just think, well, when I know Jesus, everything's going to be easier. But let me tell you, Jesus will take you places that are completely uncomfortable. And he'll have you engage in conversations that are completely uncomfortable. So that's not why Jesus came. Give us a safety guarantee. Some people say, well, Jesus really, um, I look at Jesus as more like a moral example. And though he is a moral example. He is much more. I mean, he does show us how to live our lives. He is the one who came to save our souls. Uh, and so some people look at Jesus for completely different things. But the plan was always. The plan was always for Jesus to come, live among us, and his purpose was always to die. To die for sin to die for the sins of the world, to die for your sins, to die for my sins. His purpose on earth was to die and to be raised up again and establish a kingdom for all eternity, but not on this earth. How many people 
here this morning, know of people who are no longer here in church or, or, or following their faith because they had a different expectation of Jesus and it didn't happen so they walked away. You know, some had this expectation, maybe a spouse was really ill and there was this expectation, Jesus, to heal my spouse and the spouse doesn't get healed and all of a sudden like, that's it, I'm done. I expected him to do that, and he didn't do it. You know, some people say, I've done my very best to raise my children, and now my, my children have walked away. I expected that you would look after them and put a hedge of protection. I'm done with you, Jesus. I expected that I would get that promotion. I have worked really hard, and God, you've really disappointed me. I am done. Because they had expectations that weren't what really Jesus came to do for us. You know, I expect a bigger home, bigger bank accounts. I expect my life to be better and better and easier and easier. But our king did not come to make our life easy. He came to raise dead men and make them alive again. When they're shouting Hosanna, at that moment they are worshiping him for who he is, but they don't see the purpose for his coming. I like how one pastor put it. When you love the who and certain parts of the what, without understanding his why, you will inevitably become disillusioned with his how and when. See, people like the miracles. They love when Jesus did the healing. I think they even really liked it when, when Jesus challenged the religious right, the religious leaders. Well, they didn't like that part where suffering was to come. See, he just never came to make our lives just better and better. That's not why Jesus came. Though I believe our life is better with Jesus. As I said, he came to make dead men alive in Christ. He came with the purpose to die on a cross, and we're going to remember that, and we are going to celebrate that this Good Friday at seven o'clock at our seven o'clock service. But that he was raised from the dead. He glorified himself so that we may have life as well. And we are going to celebrate that to the max next Sunday, the resurrection. And so as I was reading through this and just thinking what the people were thinking and why were they so quick to respond and some observations. Jesus is far more appealing than religion. See, people were actually were quite taken by what Jesus had taught. He, he had taught with, with one who had authority, and he, he taught in such a way people felt accepted because he was always reminding them that God loved them and a plan for their life. I think it's one of the reasons multitudes were gathered around him. And what is happening in this particular event, there's a religious event getting ready to take place. They have been celebrating this because it's the center of Jewish history. They've been celebrating this for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. I kind of wonder, had it become stale? Had it become like a ritual for them? Had it just become old humdrum, this celebration? I think people were looking for something new, something more than what religion could offer. Because they spontaneously break out into Hosanna. God, save us. Give us something different than what we have. See, Jesus really was a breath of fresh air for those who simply had a stagnant, 
religion. In Mark 12, 37, it says that the common people, like the everyday Joe walking the streets, really loved to hear him speak and talk. It says they delighted in him. They were glad to hear him. And Jesus will always be more attractive, by the way, than hollow religion. And Jesus is getting ready to bring a clash between the old and the new. In fact, in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are so, oh, they're so irritated that Jesus is not keeping the traditions. They come and they say to the disciples, why does he not keep the traditions? Because he hadn't ceremonially washed his hands properly before he would eat a meal. And so, like, we have traditions and Jesus asked them the question, why do you break the commands for the sake of tradition? And then he says, you hypocrites. He called the religious people that. That is why prostitutes and tax collectors and the less respected people of society found it easy to hang with Jesus. Because he is kind and he's compassionate and he's caring and he listened to people, even to the, the lowest in society. And, and, and what is interesting, I, may, I could be wrong, maybe there is a place in the scripture, but I couldn't find a place where Jesus rebukes the disenfranchised. It always seems he rebukes the religious. I never see him say to the disenfranchised, oh, you hypocrite. No, it's the religious people that he unloads on. The common people loved him. See, religion, you wonder, sometimes I wonder why people follow religion, not Christ, because we know it can be empty and hollow. See, religion will always, always emphasize the outward, but Jesus will always emphasize the inward. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Religion is often about what you cannot do. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do this. But Jesus is all about what you can do. Come as you are and watch what I can do with your life. But so often religion is, I don't do this, I don't do that. In fact, I remember I had a cassette tape years ago. This was back in the 80s. Remember the old cassette tapes? Some of you guys really know what that is. But you used to press this button, a little square thing. And, and I had this preacher and he would, what we would call today, a, a really strong fundamentalist. He had a very large list of don'ts. And I can remember listening to one of his messages one time. And um, he said, ah, <coughs> I don't smoke and I don't drink and I don't chew and I don't hang with those who do and I do not wear leisure suits. I thought, wow, leisure suits. That is even on the list of things that you can't do. Because I had a nice one. That's why I was offended by it. See, religion will always put up walls. And Jesus will tear them down. Religion is really good at keeping people out. But Jesus said, come unto me, those who are just tired and weary, and I'll give you rest. See, religion says, work your way to God. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm actually the way to God. Religion is all about human achievement, 
But that is not the gospel. The gospel is divine accomplishment. Religion is, I have done. And Jesus says, no, I have done it. People gathered around him. They collected. This is good news for some people. <laughs> Ooh, they finally cut him off. I will speak a little bit louder. How's that? Okay. In John chapter 11, 47, 48, the Pharisees say um, that you've got to stop. Uh, and in fact, he said, they say to all the other Pharisees, what are we doing here? What are we accomplishing? If we do not stop Jesus right now, everybody's going to believe him. We have got to stop him. They're so uh, intimidated by Jesus. They, for the first time, they feel like, oh my goodness, there's some competition. They hated Jesus. It was, it's almost hard to get your head around it that the religious people hated him so much. They despised him. In fact, they tried to put a plan together to just to get rid of him. And of course, if it, if, it caused, if it meant death, then that's okay with us. And what was making the grace of God so offensive? Because it was offensive to these religious people these self-righteous people not because who was being left out it was all because who they were letting in i mean selfish scoundrels were allowed in violent vagabonds rebellious ragamuffins is who jesus was accepting and it's still true today religious people tend to be more concerned about our performance and not so much about the performance that was done for us, which is Jesus. More concerned about obedience than the obedience of the one who went to the cross. See, Christianity is not for good people who try hard. It's for bad people who finally give up and throw themselves under the forgiving mercy of Jesus. That's the gospel way too often we just keep emphasizing do something for for jesus and we underemphasize the fact that jesus what jesus has done for us see this is the season this is the season to celebrate this is the season to break out in a shout of praise of thanksgiving this is the season to lift the name of jesus this is the season to recognize that we have a rescuer a deliverer a savior and jesus is his name amen amen, amen.